Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's the nightcap. Poop fest. This is it's terrible. He's very calculating in how he says things. I mean, it may sound like it's spontaneous. It's not. I mean, he goes into a lot of these things saying, okay, here's what I'm going to say about this. I mean, you know, think about how much time he had to spend in coming up with the word poop fest. I've never heard the word poop fest, but that's very creative. On WGR. Can I interest you in a nightcap? Ooh, throwback open. Really throwback open. Like, that was one of the first, it's like the first batch that got whipped out of whatever pot the show came out of. Because anything Ryan said was a poop fest. That was the, that was the joke. And it worked. Well, it's not a joke. It's legit. <laughs> Why, jokes can be true? Yes, like a funny because they're true, yes. Yeah, it's funny because it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very it's, true. It's the Nightcap. Jody Biasi and Derek Kramer hanging out with you for one more time this week. we got a bunch of full shows next week, so a lot of airtime with the Sabres off. Um, we got a Sabre game tonight. Sabres after dark for the final time this season, I think. Yes. Oh, Because we did the California oh. trip. Right, that was early in the season, and now the West Coast tra- Canada trip. And uh, will there be like, like an eight o'clock yeah, central Colorado, game at some point? Colorado will probably be the next latest game. Have they played Colorado? They played in Arizona. They played in Arizona. They won in Arizona. They took all the California teams. They took Vegas. Vegas. That was that five game. So you sure West- they haven't been? You sure they haven't been to Colorado then? Yeah, they haven't been to Colorado. They haven't been to Dallas. So what is that? Tri- oh, that's going to be like a Dallas Colorado trip. Maybe I don't even point. think it's. I think those games are just a la carte. Why would they make them just go out to, to Colorado randomly at some point? I mean, their schedule has been weird, brutal and weird at times, so I wouldn't be super surprised if that's the case um, as I do a quick – well, they're playing at Dallas, remember, after um, the bye week. They're so at Colorado, Columbus, and then they're at Dallas, I think, the next night. Then Colorado has to be a la carte. Or maybe you, like, throw the Chicago game into it. Chicago. Are those two places even close? No. I don't do much traveling. <laughs> You're right. Um, the second week of March, they're at Chicago on a Thursday and then at Colorado. Colorado. Colorado on a Saturday. Yeah, so they give them an extra day to go change another time zone. That's a 3 o'clock puck drop. In Colorado? Yeah, it's a Saturday. So this is this is like not even, not even more. Uh, <laughs> really, you got like one 8.30 game Chicago. You got one eight thirty game in Dallas. Does that count as Sabres after dark, though? I think it's got to no. be nine or later, right? Yeah, at least because the game has to extend into midnight. Yeah, for me to consider it even close to a close to a after dark. Like game. when okay. most people would normally want to be going to the bed, this game is still going on. Okay, that's what you would call Sabres after dark. Uh, Sabres are at the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Ten o'clock puck drop. Ten o'clock puck drop. That definitely Latest after of dark. The year. Um, we've got pregame starting at 9 o'clock. Pat Malacaro will be along to take you through with Paul Hamilton, who is live in Vancouver, and a couple of player interviews, as as always, in the locker room, as well as Sabres head coach 
Phil Housley. We'll play a little Saber sound for you before the end of the show as Saber uh, forward Jeff Skinner was a little extra media guy today. And uh, he he was a, technically a game-time decision, but he says he's going to play. So we'll get to that a little bit later. We'll talk some Sabres later in the show. Championship Sunday on Sunday. Uh, you can hear it all right here on WGR. It's a 3.05 t- kickoff first for the NFC Championship game, which is in New Orleans, uh, the Saints and the Rams. And then after that, which I think is a 6.40 kickoff, is the Patriots and Chiefs. And I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about the NFC Championship game. It's just really not... Why? Because it just you're so level. worried about you're so worried about the uh, the underdog story of the year, <laughs> the, the Patriots, Julian Edelman your... and those underdog uh, <laughs> Patriots. They're coming to prove everybody wrong. You want your shot at it? Here's your chance now. Because um, yeah. because we, we were late to being able to get to it on Wednesday. The, the headlines, <laughs> the, the headlines are more interesting on the AFC side to me than they are on the NFC side by a lot. You've got. The coach, Andy Reid, who can never get past the Patriots. Here's another chance, and maybe, probably, almost for sure, the best chance he's ever had at that. The best team on paper he's ever had. And you've got the young MVP quarterback, he's going to win MVP, uh, in Patrick Mahomes. 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. He just got here. He looks like he's 15 years old. He talks like a frog. He um he, has, he can throw it 90 yards through the air. Like he's the most physically gifted passer that maybe we've ever seen. Throwing blind look no look passes across the middle or throwing left-handed just I'm telling because you, I would bet you right now before his career is over, he is going to try a behind the back pass. He is totally going to try a behind the back pass. Right? Maybe Maybe not. Maybe it's a little too outlandish. I think he'll, he'll try it at some point. But I mean, like, he did throw it left-handed out of desperation. Right, right. Like this is this is the guy we're talking about. Like super freak athlete uh, for a quarterback, and man, he he looks like the best quarterback, young quarterback maybe to come into the league in a really long time. And his guys playing across from him. Like here's Brady. Brady's just it seems like he's going to end up playing every legendary quarterback of all time. Right. Other than the guys, obviously, that played before him. Like, once Brady's in the league, he's going to play forever. So he's going to play every guy that ends up being a legend. He played Peyton Manning 100 times. Um, He played against uh, Brett Favre. He plays against Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. And now he's getting Patrick Mahomes. And he's played against Andrew Luck. And the young guys, like, who else? Who else is a young up-and-coming star? Like, Deshaun Watson. Any of them. Josh Allen. Hopefully. Baker Mayfield, he'll get it probably eventually. He keeps coming back. And maybe there's a little bit of deterioration this year. It's not much, but maybe there's a little bit. There was a point during the season, it was like week 8 or 9, and I haven't checked up on the stats since to see if it still rang true throughout the whole year. But about week 8 or 9, Brady had the highest percentage of missed target throws in the NFL. His accuracy was a little bit off, but he's Brady. He knows where he's going with the ball before the snap. That's kind of the difference between him and I would say almost all the quarterbacks in the league. Like that's a special skill that only a, that only a few possess. He always knows where it's going before the snap, and he seems to always be able to execute it. That's something that's kind of opposite, polar opposite from the guy on the other side of the field. Mahomes, I'm sure. Like, NFL quarterbacks will have that. 
Mahomes, at times, knows where he's going with the ball before the snap. But you know that quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, if the play breaks down, like that's when things can happen that are really special. That's when he can make those left-handed passes. That's when he can throw it to Tyreek Hill 65, 70 yards through the air, going cross his body, and do something completely unbelievable like that. It's... It's like it, it's the complete opposite to me at quarterback. It's young versus old. It's super athletic versus, I mean, the, the Brady. He might be the most unathletic quarterback of all time, as well as being the best quarterback of all time. And then you've got the coach headline, like I just mentioned. It's the Chiefs at home and Gronkowski. Maybe this is his last game. Who knows? Patriots in the AFC Championship game week week year after year after year. It's a more interesting game to me. I've spent a lot more time thinking about it. The Rams and the Saints, there are differences there. There are a lot of similarities there, too. It's young quarterback versus old quarterback. It's young head coach versus experienced head coach. But they feel kind of the same to me. It feels like no matter who makes the Super Bowl, I'm going to get an innovative offensive team that is going to score a ton of points, is going to win by putting up 50 on you, and... I feel like I'm getting the same thing there. I feel like whoever wins that game, if they're to play the Chiefs, I'm going to be super pumped up for that matchup. Because the, what's the headline? Think about the Super Bowl headlines. To me, those are about the same regardless of who's playing. If it's the Chiefs versus the Saints, it's going to be, look out for that score. How how big is the over-under going to be? And same thing if they play the Rams. We already saw the 51-54 to game. How many points is this going to score? It's going to be all about, oh, look at the new era in the NFL. Young uh, weapons all around, the, the dynamic talents uh, all uh, all over on offense, innovative head coaches. And if the Patriots make it and they play either of the teams in the NFC, it's all going to be about the Patriots. It's going to be about their dynasty. It's going to be about Belichick and Brady. And it's going to be maybe a little bit of, oh, maybe they walk away after this game, which is a pipe dream. I, If it happened... I'd root for them, but it's almost for sure not going to happen. If they won, they'd walk away. The headlines for a Patriots, whoever they play in the Super Bowl, is about the Patriots, and it's about their dynasty. And that got me to thinking about how their dynasty is built. We had a caller that kind of sparked this in me earlier. Um, he called during the afternoon show, and he was talking about the, way, the, the, the interesting note that New England, you think about it, they're really not going to have a lot of Hall of Famers from this 20-year stretch. Not counting guys that were there a couple years. Like, Randy Moss was there, and sure, like he, he set records in New England. He was really good in New England. But he was there for like three years. He's best known as a Minnesota Viking. Yeah, Junior Seah made the Hall of Fame. He was in New England for two years, maybe. Um, maybe there's one other. No, Willie McGinnis was the other name I was thinking of, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um like you've got so far really none other than Randy Moss, which is like eh, kind of, but not really. He used three years of a twenty-year dynasty, and Belichick's gonna make it. Obviously, Brady's gonna make it. Obviously, Gronk is gonna make it. Think about the credit for the New England Super Bowl. It is all the coach and the quarterback. It's all Belichick and it's all Brady. And it's interesting that that to me is different than a lot of dynasties throughout football history, sports history first and foremost, but football history even more specifically. I, you look at the other dynasties. This is the first that came to mind for me. 
You've got the 90s Cowboys. It's kind of a dynasty. Like they went, what, they went three of four, three out of four years? Yeah, I think so. Something like um, that. We're, yeah, people out there that are like, look at these young idiots. Yeah, we're too young to remember that. So we think it's three out of four. We're going to go with that. Pretty sure it's three out of four. They, the head coach, Hall of Famer. Jimmy Johnson. Quarterbacks, Hall of Famer. Troy Aikman. The running backs, a Hall of Famer. Emmett Smith. The wide receivers, a Hall of Famer. Michael Irvin. Uh, the left tackle, Larry Allen is one of the best uh, left tackles of all time by most people's accounts. That's There's just one cr- side of the ball right there. Right. Credit spread all around there on that dynasty there in the 90s. The 70s Steelers. I had to look it up because I knew they had a ton of Hall of Famers from the 70s. They have eight just from that decade. Just from that decade. Unbelievable. The coach, Chuck Knoll. Quarterback, Bradshaw. Franco Harris, Mean Joe Green, Lynn Swan, Joe Stallworth, Mel Blunt, Mike Webster. Those are all from the 70s era Steelers. The credit spread it spread around. The defense was great. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have one of the all-time coaches. What was there for like 45 years? I think he might have even been there by the time I was born. The credit spread around. The 90s Bills is not a dynasty. Um, it's been described as almost a dynasty. I'll throw them into the mix for this. Who gets credit for the 90s Bills? It's spread around. It's the GM. It's Bill Polian, Hall of Famer. The coach is a Hall of Famer. Levy. Marv. The quarterback. The defense had uh, Bruce. Thurman and Andre. Lofton, not really uh, Bill's Hall of Famer. He's in there. Um... Maybe Tasker makes it at some point. I don't know. Maybe they'll throw the special teams guy in there. That's spread around. The Patriots, I think it's so interesting the way their dynasty is built because they're not going to have any all other Hall of Famers other than those three. And it's going to be Brady. It's going to be Belichick. It's going to be Gronkowski. And Gronkowski is only, what is this, his 10th year? Is this his 10th year? I... Not even? Maybe it's a it's a decade or less. Yeah, but and this has been a twenty year thing going on in New England. There's a couple of other names. The college just dropped a couple of names that should be under consideration for it. A pair of them are kickers, Vinatieri and Guskowski. Okay, but and then but Teddy, what are we doing? And there? then Teddy Bruschi. Uh, like, and even Bruschi's a reach for me. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he's getting in. I haven't even seen his name like ever on. Yeah, like, but Vinatieri final was, finalist. Vinatieri made historic kicks in the Super Bowls. You know, sure. winning several of okay, them sure. on the last second. So. He is, it's not just like shoehorning the fact that he was the kicker. He did win some of those games. But but nobody is giving Adam Vinatieri credit for the Patriots dynasty. That's true. Right. Why? Because they moved on from Vinatieri, just like how they move on from literally everyone else. He's he's a kicker. He's a kicker. But what I'm saying is that that it's literally every position. They move on from everybody. Yeah. Heartlessly. And that's why... It's 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 not really something you can copy. Everyone's like, oh, you got to do it like the Patriots do it. Do your job. <clears throat> you got to have the head coach. You can rival Belichick. You got to have a quarterback like Brady, the pocket guy. Oh, you got to take guys in the fifth and sixth round because you never know what can happen. Look what happened with Tom Brady. It j- this is just it, it's not. It probably never happens again. They fell, butt backwards, into the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah. Congratulations, New England. You lucked into it. Essentially, 
like their formula, I don't really know if it can be replicated. It can't. Because the, the way they move on, like you got to, for their formula to work, they essentially needed to have the greatest quarterback ever paired with the greatest head coach ever. Arguably on both sides, but a lot of people think that they are the best at what they do ever. Relatively consensus. Yeah. And it seems that like those two things doesn't really matter if you have Hall of Fame talents at these other positions. And the Chiefs present kind of a polar opposite version of that. It's not the it's it's the system schematically, but not organizationally. Like it's on paper talent all over the place. Just especially on offense, there's so much talent just jammed into that Chiefs roster that it spits out 45, 50-point games almost on a regular basis. And that's the different way from the way the Patriots are built. The Patriots are cheap uh, players that they can bring in and mold into their their philosophy and their culture, and that only works when they have that quarterback and they have that head coach. Which and is why, to me, if th- when these two guys walk away, at some point, especially Brady for this, when those two guys walk away, I think the way their dynasty was built, the way their formula worked, I think once one of those guys walks away, especially Brady, I think it's completely over. Yes, because you look at something here. Tom Brady has covered up for some of the biggest personnel mistakes that Bill Belichick has ever made. Bill Belichick, yes, it was partially a cap move, but he traded Chandler Jones for Jonathan Cooper. <laughs> That is something that he did. <laughs> I forgot about that. It was yes, a bad trade. You're welcome. Bad it trade. was a terrible trade. But guess what? It doesn't matter because New England's in the Super Bowl almost every year. Right, because all that because matters to them is going to be guy, their quarterback and coach. Because they have a guy who could cover up for literally all of the mistakes that Belichick has even made. Even a, like it's just so so really but yes, it's the Patriot way, everything like that. No, enough with this jargon with all this. I swear to God, if they win. No, but like that's what makes them win. Into despair, as annoying as it is, and I'm gonna rage talk about it. As sickening as it is at this point, because we've heard it so many times, like that is what makes them good. There's no other explanation. I'm gonna need to borrow Jeremy's snark cannon. There really is no other explanation for it, though. There isn't, and it's those two. And I don't even know if it's necessarily those two. Because again, I just pointed it out. Belichick has made egregious personnel errors. Coaching-wise, he's fantastic. Dude's not necessarily what I would call the greatest of GMs, though. Some of the first-round picks are flops, just like every other team. But that's going to happen when you're picking between 25 and 32 every single year. Yes, but again... You're never getting star players in the first round because I'm not you're never picking players, in the I'm top saying, part. I'm just saying not busts. Yeah. But, but They've I had mean, some of those. They've had some of those, and every other team does. But nobody talks about it because number 12 is under center and he can cover up your mistakes. They had the greatest quarterback of, of all time. To me, though, this is this is the year that, to me, proved that that's not 100% true. Because this because is the Belichick year... Because Belichick the coach. Well, no, not but, Belichick the personnel manager. Belichick the coach. Well, Belichick mold, gets the players that he thinks can mold into his system. And this year, when Brady had an off year in some regards, in in terms of accuracy and in terms of his arm strength, like it was, like I said, it wasn't like a major downgrade in Brady's skill set this season, but they, he did look different at times this year than he has in the past. And despite that happening, Belichick... And the rest of the Patriots, the defense improved. They were like they were like twenty eighth at some point in the mid part of the season. Yeah, they were they, bad. They ended up, I think, like eighteenth or nineteenth. So to me, their defense is like it's okay. And I think 
really like the running back, uh, the combo that they have there really works. And I think their combination of things worked this year. That kind of like it, it shows that it's a support system around Brady. It's all built to support their quarterback, and I think that that's part of Belichick's plan. And this year is obviously a different version of them. Like they tomorrow or S- Sunday when they play the Chiefs, they do not want to get into a shootout. To me, they do not want to get into a shootout. Like they could win if that happens, but I think best case scenario for them, they're winning like a twenty-one to four to fourteen game. Yeah, and they're going to try to find ways to frustrate Mahomes and make him right. see things that he hasn't seen before. That's right. And, and I could predict that that's probably going to happen. Well, to me, like that—that's the the way of looking at this game. It's is this version of the Chiefs arguably one of the best offenses in NFL history this season? If you don't want to just chalk up and chalk it up and say that they are, the Chiefs. can that version of the Chiefs, such a great roster on paper, with that quarterback, can all of that and it being at home? Can that still not beat a aged Patriot team? A legendary duo. An aged legendary duo. Is all of that enough to take that down on the when they're on the road? I swear to God, the Chiefs Be- need to win this for America. That's right, because if they it's need to win not, this for America. If it's not, then you gotta just say nothing's gonna happen until we either see Brady retire or we see some significant deterioration. Because otherwise, I hate this team so much. Their formula is going to keep working. I hate them. Even if Brady, like, what, what would you, where would you rank Brady this year in, in terms of like quarterbacks around the league? I, I, like fourteenth, maybe. Oh come on, not that low. No, not that low. Like but... he, he was certainly. You would put him beho- behind Mahomes. You would put him behind um, the way he Drew was playing, Brees. The way they've been playing for most of the season. Luck. Luck, Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson. I'd probably want to put Russell Wilson above him. I would put Russell Wilson above him there. Rivers, the way he played this season. Yeah, Rivers. So we're already hitting a nice number here so maybe, where Brady could get threatened in double digits. But right around there. Yes. If you high single digits or low a double digits. Down in there. What? No. <laughs> and, like, that's not normal Brady, normal Tom Brady. That's yeah, not... normal Tom Brady's in the top five. Right. But, so... To me, that I think kind of what he, the story of him this year is he is still, he's still, he's still one of I, w- I want to say he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But at least this year, he wasn't even the conversation for the best quarterback. He's not. He's not the same Tom Brady that we've had to deal with. He's just Tom Brady in a different version that we've had to deal with, and they're still doing the same thing that they've done as a team. Exactly, and that's why to me, if they win on Sunday, that's going to be very frustrating. It's almost doubly frustrating because that's going to be evidence that, hey, if even if Brady's not the best quarterback in the league, they're still going to make the Super Bowl. You want to know the worst they're part? They're still going to do it. You want to know the worst part about it? Is the two weeks that we have to hear the Patriot way shoved into every ear hole. In America. It'll, it'll always happen. Until they just start missing, it will happen. Because really, there's not many other explanations. Like, and that's just the label you put on it. And again, it's not always just about it being the Patriot way. It's the greatest coach and the greatest quarterback but is that, a tandem. The Patriot way comes from those two, though. I know, but I hate it. To me, like, what does the Patriot just, way mean when, 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 I, when people say it? Like, Patri- what does that mean to you? The Patriot way is... Is garbage to me. But like seriously, what is like what like no, what is the patriot? That's that's what it is to me. It's a garbage forced narrative that keeps getting repeated over and over and over again. And it all, just all is I mean, not like what is their what is their reason for winning? Belichick and Brady. 
Do you just think the Patriot way is just Belichick and Brady? Yes. Because but it's things they're doing, obviously. How many how many assistant coaches go on and succeed outside of Bill Belichick? Answer zero. Nick Saban. In the NFL? Not in the NFL, but he's the big, greatest college football coach in history. Yeah, because he gets the boss around twenty year olds. To me, I just, and he gets to recruit a roster, and he doesn't have to deal with free agency or trades or contracts. He could just flash rings and get kids to sign. And that's why I'm glad Clemson put a beat down on them. To me, I just think the Patriot way is just to me. It's it's the coach and the way that he does things. The way that he doesn't really go out and he doesn't. He never trades up. He never really falls in love with falls in loves with players. It's always for him moving on from a player one year too early than one year too late. And, and that's that not I something that a lot of teams do. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is the way that their offense functions under number 12. I don't necessarily think that his arm talent and his arm strength is the biggest asset to that offense. I think we're seeing that this year. It's really his mind. And it's really how quick that offense moves. It's how quick the ball gets out. And that only happens when you have a quarterback that knows that quickly when the ball's coming out and where it's going. And to me, the only thing we've even seen close to that, at least in my lifetime, was Peyton Manning. Because the the other quarterbacks out here, they're playing a different version of the, of the sport. They're playing... More athletic. I'm a, more, more athle- yeah, more, I'm going to rely on my athleticism. I'm going to drop back to pass. I'm going to look around. I'm going to go through like three, four reads, see who's open. How often does that happen in New England? Like, to me, that's... That's what the Patriot way is to me. I think it's that version of management from Belichick, and I think it's that version of offense from the Patriots. And you know what? I'd be okay if that was exactly what was told to me would be the Patriot way. Right. And to but me, it's not. how does that end? That only ends with retirement. It, I think it's that sad to say, and I think it only ends with retirement. You're probably right. And that's the part that always sickens me. I always thought. Their dynasty was only was going to end one of two ways. It was either going to be they leave at some point, they get too old, or they retire, or there's there's going to be a new sheriff in town. And maybe like to me personally, maybe Patrick Mahomes is the last hurrah at that idea that there could be a new sheriff at some point. I got to be honest because if it doesn't happen on Sunday, and if even if I, I want to say even if it's a real close game, it, it doesn't matter. If that Chiefs team with Patrick Mahomes doesn't find a way to win, then I'm completely throwing that second option out the window. Because then you, you, can, you, you just can't rely on any new sheriff to come in and take over. Yep. Until one, like it'll be one thing for me. It'll just be a complete waiting game to see them retire. I've been in that mode in terms of the Bills in the AFC East for a long time, but I wouldn't say I've been in that strict mode of I'm just waiting for them to retire in terms of the AFC. In terms of the Super Bowl being something that I don't have to have emotional investment in. You know what you're not hearing a lot about the Patriots right now? Quickly before we got to get to a break in a second here, you're not hearing a lot of. uh, Well, one, you're not hearing like any cheating scandals. And two, you're not hearing about any drama behind the scenes. Like, you've had that almost every year. 
Congrats, Patriots. You, you know why you're not hearing that, though, maybe? Because they've had some struggles on the field. Yeah, they're not immortal. They're not invincible. <laughs> so, so what if they had those struggles on the field on purpose because they didn't want other people talking about that other stuff? Could they think that deep? Could they be that evil? They could. I don't know. They might be. They might actually be. Because if they stomp the Chiefs this weekend in Arrowhead, then I'm just going to say that they are that evil. I really hope the Chiefs can get it done. That's why like, I'm so much more invested in the AFC. We're going to we're gonna put Gronk on the field so that Miami can score on a lateral just so that we can lose the top seed <laughs> so that people will think that it's actually going to end. And then we can have some underdog mentality. Yep. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just go in there and beat them down in Arrowhead and go back to the Super Bowl. Yawn. They did say it didn't make sense for Gronk to be on the field there. Maybe they knew what they were doing. 8030550 is the phone number. We're going to get into the Sabres when we come back after the break here. It's the Nightcap, Jody Biasi and Derek Kramer here on WGR. Johnny Goodrow goes to the bench. Eichel stays on the ice for the Sabres. Drives right. He has the lane for the shot. Scores! The Eichel Tower in overtime, and the Cardiac Kids douse the Flames in Calgary. Make the final 4-3. Are we allowed to still call them the Cardiac Kids? I mean, they did come back in that game, so I'll allow it. But that was like the first game they came back in in a month and a half. Hey, sometimes you just got to bring back the magic after the team brings back the magic. Are they back? They got away with one, I think, in that game. They got away. Not for their own fault. Calgary, I think, is a really good team. Like, I could see them in the cup finals so very easily. But the big thing is that Um, with that game, though, it's not just that they got away with one necessarily. I wouldn't say that. It's that. Well, they had no shot generation at all. They had no period. shot generation in the third period, and you're right about that, but it's not like they didn't earn it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they played scrapped. well in the defensive zone. I mean, they, they played they played all right. I don't want to give them no credit, but... Yeah, you, that's that's why I would say it's a little harsh to go ahead and say that they didn't deserve it or it, But it's still worrisome to me that like you're relying on goals that are deflections from the point off other people's sticks like that's a worrisome thing to me at some point when like those are your only shots of the period are a couple of shots from the corners and the blue line like you need more than that at some point that can get that can work once in a while but to me it's not it's not um i don't what what do i want to say what i would say is the good news is that with that issue it means that the players are driving you in the net though and that's something that's true. That... I, even on the Dalene goal, it goes off one of the Flames player sticks, but Eichel charges from behind the net to kind of try and get out in front. So, like, that is happening. Um, the Oposo screen on the McCabe goal yes, is fantastic. Right. Like, that, that kind of play, though, is only going to get you so far at some point when that's the only type of scoring chance that you can generate. It's the only secondary scoring we're seeing from this team uh, on the whole for the most part. Really, it's been their, it's been their defensemen. Yeah. But the thing is. Their defenseman scoring has been about as good, if not better, than their second, third, and fourth lines. It, it, I'd probably say it's been slightly better. And the big thing is this. During their slides, the defensemen weren't getting pucks through to the net. They weren't getting pucks, you know, challenging goaltenders because they weren't driving the net. If they can do more of that, then maybe we got a shot at getting back into this thing. Uh, Ristolainen's got five on the year. Darlene's got five on the year. McCabe's got four now. Scandella, three, Bogosian, two, Bullu, three, Nelson, one, Pilot, one. And they had like maybe two goals from defensemen at this point last year. 
all defensive. If that. They got their first one December. I remember that. I don't know. Yeah, we're into, we're into halfway of January, so maybe maybe they doubled it at that point. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. A uh, quick look at the standings. There are other games actually going on right now. I should probably update you on that are uh, in, that are impacting the Sabres and their playoff chances. Before I give you the scores, where they are in the standings. Is that the Bruins? Okay, good. I hate their goal. They're two points behind the Penguins, the Sabres are. They are three points behind the Montreal Canadiens. Um, five points behind the Boston Bruins, six points behind the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then as I go up to the Metro, four points behind the Islanders, five points behind the Capitals, five points behind the Columbus Blue Jackets. You just have to beat out one. That's it. To make the playoffs, they just got to beat out one of those teams for the rest of the season. Doesn't matter which one. You got to beat them out by that much. And games in action right now, Good news. Panthers up 2 to 1 on the Maple Leafs. You're still paying attention to them. The Canadians are up 1 to nothing on the Blue Jackets. Those are both in the first period. And those are the only in the other game in action right now is Carolina and Ottawa. They are scoreless. Um you've got Islanders, Capitals just about to get underway. That uh impacts the Sabres. Obviously you're rooting for probably the Capitals in that one. And then you've got later Pittsburgh at Arizona. Pittsburgh in fact is actually the closest team to the Sabres right now. They're only 2 points ahead. Amazing that they're only two points ahead, but they have a plus 26 goal differential, and the Sabres have a minus three goal differential. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's just amazing how how can you only have 56 points when you have like that that gap in the differential almost never comes with that small a gap in terms of points. It just comes down to ti- timely goaltending from Pittsburgh, really. Well, just think about how many blowouts they must have had. Exactly. If they've had 21 losses and 25 wins, you must have won a bunch of games by like four or five goals. A bunch of them. We know the Sabres, on the other hand, have won a bunch of one-goal games. Um, The Islanders are an interesting team right now. There is a uh, hockey reference, does their playoff predictor. They have the Islanders at like 89, maybe 90% to make the playoffs right now. And I've always thought the whole season that they were a little fluky. And part of that was their goaltending. I think we knew about Robin Leonard. Some of us knew about Robin Leonard. Some of us thought he was worse than he really is, but others were realistic about it. And you know he's an, I mean, he's an above-average goaltender. He's been an above-average goaltender pretty much his entire career. I think the stat on him is that he has been above the league average in save percentage in like seven of his nine years or something like that. I looked it up earlier. He's, by the way, like I said, he's number one in the league in save percentage. Even here in his time in Buffalo, like he got, he always we he always got a bad rap. It was always because of the price that they paid the first round pick. He had an off year last year, yes. The two years before that, he was comfortably above what the league average was in terms of save percentage. The stat I looked up earlier, in his three years here in Buffalo, Leonard... He had a higher save percentage than Carey Price in that time, Henrik Lundqvist, Tuka Rask, Martin Jones, and like 15 other starting goalies. So to me, I'm not super surprised that he's number one in the league in save percentage, but I still would want to think that that's going to come back down to earth a little bit. And if that does happen, I I don't want to just chalk the Islanders in right now and just pencil them into the playoffs. I think that would be a mistake. They've got some good talent on their team. Barzell is one that is just like, he's phenomenal. But 
he's like all they got in terms of elite talent. So I would still be watching them. I would still be scoreboard watching them uh, to drop off. It's still only a four-point gap between us and them. And them and Montreal are still the two teams I'm looking hardest at. Even though Pittsburgh's in that last spot. Maybe we'll get to a point where we have where we start thinking more about Pittsburgh and Boston and Toronto. but Or Washington and Columbus maybe even. But right now, I feel like the window is is kind of shrank a little bit. Montreal, I think, should be up for grabs for sure. And I still think that Islanders spot is too. But, like, the Sabres are going to have to start keeping pace here. They're going to be on bye next week. Who knows what they're going to come out of that bye week trailing. They could be six points out. They could be they could be seven or eight points out. Or they could be right around where they're at now. They could be three or four. Probably not two. By the way, you mentioned Pittsburgh and like that goal differential thing, so you made me curious and I decided to look it up. Okay. They hey, they won a game twenty seven to one. No, but they did win one okay. nine to one. Okay. So 16. the Sabres won what what was the Ottawa game? Was that nine to one? I thought nine it was two. nine two. Nine two. Okay. So sixteen of them by two plus goals. Ten of them by three plus. Wow. And nine of those ten by four or more goals. Damn. Yeah, that to me that that tells me that I, I shouldn't pays too much attention to them. And the teams that they beat by those margins, by the way, some of them impressive, some of them not. I mean, Anaheim and the Rangers and the Blues and the Coyotes and the Canucks. Not really what I would call impressive blowout wins like that. But they also took the Flames and the Jets to the woodshed, too. Man, have the Anaheim Ducks fallen off. Yeah. Remember when, when the, that's actually most Sabre fans remember this when the Sabers played them earlier in the season, hang on. they dominated Oops. them. There's ten games. There's ten wins actually that the Penguins have by four or more goals because they also beat Dallas by a five-one margin. They've blown out a lot of teams. So the Ducks yesterday. Think about how fall off, far off they've fallen. The Anaheim Ducks won their first game yesterday since December seventeenth. Who were the Bills playing then? Where was that Detroit? That was Detroit, because New England was the Christmas Eve week. <laughs> That's how long ago that was. They yes. they hadn't won a game since the Bills played the Detroit Lions. Wow. Yeah, it was the day after that Lions game. So until until that game, until that past game for the Ducks, the Bills had more wins than the Ducks. Yep, that's right. Uh, so there's a quick quick look at the standings for you in the East. We, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, one of the uh, specific Sabre player. Might be the most controversial player on the team. Is uh, before that, I have some good news. Okay, the, I don't see it on my screen. So. The end of the first period between the Leafs and the Panthers, two one Florida. Is that good news now? Is Florida Florida still not a threat? Right? Yeah, it's whatever. Toronto's gonna. Toronto's gonna. Toronto beat Tampa last night. So this is their makeup game, I guess. Yeah. All right, eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number. I want to talk a little bit about Rasmus Ristolainen when we come back from the break. It's Jody Biasi and Derek Kramer on the nightcap here on WGR.
We only ask the hard-hitting questions here on the Nightcap. You can vote at SneakyJoeWGR on Twitter. Is Ristolainen good? <laughs> yes or no? I was wondering where this was going to go with you. It's either deeply analytical or completely ridiculous. There is no in-between with you. <laughs> I'm actually planning on going uh, kind of going under the hood on Ristolainen just because you hear about how bad his analytics are a lot, and I kind of dove into Reinhardt's a little bit last week, so I want to do the same with Ristolainen. But um, before I do that, my takeaways on him are kind of inconsistent because I think a lot of people experience this with him. He'll make you tear your hair out, and then he'll do something amazing like that goal he scored against the Sharks where he put the puck between his legs and cut to the net and scored. And I think we got to get to a break here. It was a quick segment. I want to spend more time in in uh, in the second hour. But I think where I'm at with him is he leaves me hanging a lot in the defensive zone. I feel like every time he gets the puck, especially behind the net, his play every time is to whip it around the boards as hard as he can. If I'm watching film on a guy, I've said this about Johan Larson before. I'm ever watching Johan Larson on film. I know what he's doing when he enters the offensive zone. He's cutting back or he's stopping along the half wall and he's turning back looking to the point. He's actually stopped doing that this year. Maybe because he heard me say it. Probably not. But if I'm watching Ristolainen on film and I'm a defenseman especially, every time I watch him on film, he's whipping it around the boards as hard as he can on the wall. So all I got to do is pressure the guy that's standing there waiting for the puck and I'm probably going to cause a turnover. A big reason I would assume, and like I said, I haven't done a real deep dive into his advanced numbers yet, but the ones I have seen or his zone exits are pitiful. On the other hand, he's one of our, even though he's a defenseman, he's one of your best offensive players. He really is. Creatively and with the puck, yeah. Yeah. His shot, everything, his physicality. I think I think you you can't afford to trade a guy like that right now when you're so starved of scoring and you're so starved of just production out of your offensive zone. And you just got to keep hoping that one day that you're going to have a defensive or a blue line good enough where you don't have to be playing him 25 26 minutes a night. The more Dalene progresses, I'm sure the more that'll come down, but for now, he's still that guy. We'll do more on this after the break. 8030550 for your thoughts. Is Ristolainen good? Derek, where do you think this vote's going to land? Probably in favor of Ristolainen. But but how much? Like how many are going to say yes versus no? I think it'll end up at like a 60-40 because okay. there's a lot of people that like a lot of fans It's about what I would have guessed too. Yeah, like some fans will dabble into the analytics crowd and that sort of thing. But the analytics crowd is the only one that really torches Ristolainen. Yeah. Yeah. I test No, wise, yeah, I, yeah. I think I... Not, there I, are some others, but for the most part, I, th- yeah, I think I agree I test-wise, you. you don't get as many critics of Ristolainen. Right. Let's talk more about him after the break. 803-0550 is the phone number to get in on the conversation. Jody Biasi and Derek Kramer. We're an hour away from pregame. The Paul Lindbelt's pregame show starts at 9 here. Two hours away from puck drop. In Vancouver, Sabres and Canucks here on WGR. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.